It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And tonight, we're going to be talking about the international break. Yes, we're going to talk about how Germany have reacted from that nightmare at the World Cup and the two games that we've seen over the last few days. We'll also be looking ahead of match day three of the Bundesliga and talking about how we'll say goodbye to Roman Weidenfeller, uh, the ex Borussia Dortmund goalkeeper. So, joining me this week, back once again, is Chris Williams. Chris, how have you been? Not bad, Bryce. Thanks. Glad to be back. A uh, little break. Uh, yep, got some stuff going on. Um, but yeah, back now. So yeah, happy. Oh, we're glad to have you back as well, Chris. And joining Chris and I, as always, is Manu Vett. Manu, how have you been? Yeah, it's been busy. Um, lots of lots of previews. You know, we do we do cover the UEFA Nations League um, as much as as we can. So we had we had a bunch of previews, and then of course kept a close eye on the national team. So. Lots of articles that came out on uh, the Football Grad Network over this weekend. Yeah, always busy. Eh? Um, guys, can I just ask, um, we'll, we'll go to Chris first. What do you think of the, the International League? Um, do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's uh, generating a bit of interest uh, to the international game? Or could you not really care? Oh, I'll take it or leave it, to be honest. Obviously, the... Um Nations League or League of Nations is the UEFA um, the UEFA Nations League, isn't it? It's been called about fifteen things. Um, yeah, it's that's the games I've seen so far look a little bit more competitive. Um, I think anything that breaks up, you know, fifteen substitutions and makes a friendly game a bit more um, watchable is good. But I can take it or leave it, Bryce. Yeah, I think what they're trying to do is uh, quite creative, and uh, I think it's a bit more interesting, isn't it? But just too early into the season. Manu, what, what, what about you? What, what's your opinion? Are you pro or, or against it? Yes, yeah, I, I was, I was a bit torn by it, but I think that, um, I think that the games are better because they're competitive, right? I think that the fact that by winning your league, um, not your group, your league, you can, you can actually um, qualify for the Euros, right? Because the, the way they've set it up is that the four league winners will qualify directly for the, the Euro 2020. Um, and then the, the dividing the qualification stage, which starts in the new year into 10 groups and the two group winners also go to the Euro. So it gives you an extra avenue to qualify. Now, of course, if you, 
one of the top nations, let's say you play in League, um, League A, the group, the league that Germany play in, then you expected to finish in, in the top two of, you know, of your respective qualification group. But for some of the lower countries, you know, if you're playing League D, C, or B, um, someone like, let's say like Serbia who play in League C will have a very good chance of winning their, um, league. That's a very good avenue, a second way of qualifying for the Euros. So I think it's better because these teams then have a real competitive, they have a real competitive games that they have to play. And Chris is quite right. I mean, I, I saw now that I, I did match reports on both the Germany games over this international break and the one I watched against France, um, I thought was a lot more competitive than a friendly like that would have been in the past, simply because there's only three substitutions. There is something on the line. Um, they, when you win, it actually means actual points, right? And I think, I personally think that's better. I think, um, it's something that means that friendlies will have a bit more meaning. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, um, most people just need to get behind that, don't they? It's, you know, it's, Give it a go, eh? You know, it's it's something needed to be done, didn't it? Uh, but um, guys, let, let's talk um, about Germany then and, and get into that game uh, against France. So, I mean, coming off the back of the World Cup, the World Cup was a bit of a disaster, eh? Um, Chris, um, just for anyone that's been living under a rock in the last, you know, the last six months, explain what exactly happened Germany at the World Cup, uh, and it, it, it was a colossal disaster, wasn't it? Well, yeah, well, obviously they were reigning world champions. Um, they lost their opening game to Mexico, just about got something um, against Sweden and then lost comprehensively to South Korea and then went home back to Germany. So, yeah, it was a little bit of a shock. Um, I suppose if you watch the World Cup every four years, was it a shock? Because each holder seems to go out in a group stage the year after. So maybe not that much of a shock, but it was certainly um, unexpected. Um, and it sort of started a bit of a, a problem with German football, not not just what we saw on the pitch, but there was all the um, aftermath between the players. Then we had the Ozil fallout. Um, then we've had problems within the DFB, obviously the head of German football. Um, so it's not been too good. Um, and the Europa League, or whatever it's called, Nations League, was a chance for Germany to... Um, show what they were worth against uh, a very decent world champion side. Chris, you wrote a really good article following the World Cup on who's to blame. And I mean, you pointed rightfully at Bayern. And I, and I don't want to go too specifically into that very article, but I think that the World Cup unearthed a bunch of problems with German football in general, right? I mean, it was a bad year, not just for the national team, but you look at the Champions League results, you look at the Europa League results. I think it was sort of a moment where, I mean, I want to also point out this is a very good national team side, um, regardless, but it just kind of was the, was the, the cherry on top of a year that wasn't great for German football in, in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, most definitely. I mean, especially if you look at that, um, if you look at the European, a competition for the clubs. The Europa League was pretty much um, a flat-out failure. All right, Leipzig got through to the latter stages, but they were never um, convincing. Dortmund, not only did they fall out of the Champions League spectacularly, they also fell out of the Europa League in in the same um, manner to Salzburg. 
um, than the teams around them. I mean, we can go all the way back to Freiburg, who didn't even get past the qualification stages. Hoffenheim obviously lost to Liverpool in the in the playoffs, so they didn't even get any real Champions League action. Um, and Bayern. You know, they huffed and puffed against uh, Real Madrid, but couldn't find a goal really when they needed and gave up sloppy possession in order for them to get beat. And I suppose that sort of fell into the into the World Cup, especially with the national side. You know, they looked a shadow of their former self. We were used to seeing exciting, fast-flowing football, you know, transitioning from defence to attack very quickly. Um, and what we saw was a team that was exposed, slow, um, exceptionally slow on the counter couldn't really build up any um, sort of momentum in midfield um, and then couldn't really score a goal either. So, yeah, it was uh, an accumulation of a lot of things and and maybe a good wake-up call for German football because you would hope that the clubs themselves have a look at, at what went on in the closed season and, and maybe as we go into the European club domestic scene, um, sorry, the European and the club domestic scene now with the league back on, you should hopefully see maybe a, a, a different a different style of football. So that's why I'm hoping for anyway. And uh, this German side um, that we saw, I thought did pretty well against France and, and not particularly that well against Peru. There was a really great start that they showed on RTL before this match. Um, I shared it with you guys in the chat and um, this sort of ties in what Ralf Rangnick said, the um, RB Leipzig sporting director slash interims head coach, right? There was too much possession in German football at the moment. He, he believe he called it the Spanish disease. And, um, the start that RTL showed, they had the ball possession of the German national team in 2010. It was 52%. In 2014, when they won the World Cup, it was 61%. And in 2018, at, when, when they failed to get out of the group stage, Germany's average ball possession was 72%. Now, they had, um, they needed in 2010, they needed seven shots a game for a goal and, uh, 2014, just six. And in 2018, they needed 36 shots for every goal scored. Okay. That's, that's remarkable. I mean, it just kind of culminates one of some of the really big key problems because they are so dominant, but yet they can't score. Well, I think this is the perfect opportunity to talk about the games then. And uh, uh, Chris, um, it was nil-nil uh, against France, but uh, what, what different changes did we see? Uh, personnel and maybe style on the pitch, do, do you think there was uh, positive changes made? Yeah, there was. Um, I mean, there was a little bit of difference at the back. Rudiger was brought in, um, obviously Manuel Neuer, um, I don't think he's going to not start a competitive game. There's going to have to be something up with that. Um, Ginto was there. Uh, we saw the likes of Goreska come in. Uh, Royce was back in. Werner was pushed out a little wider, um, where I thought he was a little better. And then I think the main surprise that got everyone was Joshua Kimmich was moved into midfield a little bit. And for the France game, I thought, the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought Germany played really, really well. In fact, uh, you know, I put a tweet out saying that in the first 15 minutes of this game, um, Germany played a lot better than the you know 270 minutes of the World Cup. I thought they did particularly well um, against a very good French side, which was um, sort of propelled by Mbappe, who's got unbelievable skill. And, and I think him and Pogba worked well together. And I thought Germany did very well. And maybe they could have taken a lead at one point. I think a draw was probably 
the fairest one overall. Um, but if you wanted a response from what happened in the World Cup, I think Germany sort of gave on. Um, it's never going to be fixed overnight, the problems they had, um, including you know some of the older players, um, some of the younger players that are still not maybe coming through as quickly as one may want. Uh, but I still thought overall the game against France was a pretty reasonable result, um, especially in the in the performance and when you consider who they were playing. I, I think they should have won that game. I think that Ariola, of course, um, he's their backup, backup, backup goalkeeper. Doesn't even get a start against um, like start for PSG at the moment, right? And he he looked good, but. Yes, I mean, the, the saves that he made, I think they were all shots on goal that weren't particularly well placed. Um, Royce's shot, of course, where he, where he looked very good. It was, it was pretty center for me as a save that he has to make. Um, the one really good save he made was Thomas Müller's curl shot from all the way out. Ginter placed a header right in the center of the, uh, center of the goal. I think that's really one thing that, um, that's something that I saw at the World Cup as well, right? When I was um, covering German, Germany national team at the World Cup is that there's plenty of chances, but there is no convic- conviction when they're trying to execute those chances. And I think that's really something that I saw in this game as well. I think, honestly, when you look at the talent level on the side, um, I think I still think maintained to this day that the World Cup in Russia was an opportunity lost for someone to finally um, defend their World Cup title because this is a side that's still very much in its prime and it's a very good side and they're not a worse side than France. I mean, the match showed that. I think what the difference is that they just can't score. And it just doesn't happen for them and I, I'm not quite sure um, I know the exact reason for it but that's that's been for me the biggest weakness in the side at the moment. Well, Manu, you talked about uh, uh, Timo Werner playing up top, and, and you you reckon that he he's not really an out and out um, one man up top uh, striker. Um, and we've seen him up front with uh, with Royce uh, and Muller. Is that a combination that you you think just doesn't really work? Well, that combination is new, right? I think that's that's something that we haven't really seen too much. I think that Marco Royce personally is not a centre forward. Um, He's not a striker either. I think that Werner does better when he plays with a physical presence in in the center of the park. I, I, someone like Niels Pettersson, but I'm not sure that Pettersson is the is the world class striker that we need. Um, that said, France with Oliver Giroud at the World Cup uh, won the World Cup without Giroud having a single shot on goal, right, Chris? So, I mean. Sometimes you just need someone in the middle there who gives you a presence. We, we have to all, Kylian Mbappe, for example, is an, an excellent goal scorer, but he's not a center forward. He's also comes more of the wing, just like Timo Werner. So it's okay to have that if you have, if you have a center forward who has a physical presence and, and can create room for the fast wingers that you have on either side. In Germany, you have plenty of players who can score goals. In fact, the last eight goal scorers for the German national team were eight different players. So there's plenty of firepower in the side. It's just that the firepower hasn't been utilized the right way. And maybe that there is a piece. I feel like there's just a piece missing at the, at the very front of that squad at the moment. And Chris, uh, if, if we look at uh, Kimmich, 
uh, Kimmich was playing more in a number six role or just in front of the back line. Did that work for Germany? Was that one of the positives that we can take away from it? Uh, yeah, I thought he. I thought he was decent in the game against um, France. Maybe not so much in the game against Peru, but I think there was quite a few changes. Um, I did notice he spent a lot of time on the floor. I sent Manu a message at one point and said I think he spends more time on the floor than than he does, you know, running around. Um, I think he was targeted by the French a little, but tonight against, um, well, tonight as we record this against Peru. Um, I thought he went down a little too easy at times, which I think is something he needs to snap out of his game, whether he was, and I'm not saying he's diving, I'm just saying every time he seemed to get a touch, he was down. Um, and I don't see him doing that for Bayern, so I don't normally, um, or I wouldn't expect why he would do this for Germany. Do you think he is maybe, I think he's very good in that position. I actually think that I prefer him playing in that centre midfield role, Chris, but do you think that he needs to just be beef up a little bit? I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if he needs to beef up because you know, he's he's a big, strong lad. But you know, I'm not one to say maybe a kick on the back of the leg doesn't hurt because it's mm. not me that's getting kicked. But and maybe if you're getting it constantly, it, it grates on you a bit. And you know, if you know you're going to get the foul, then you, know, you will be told to go down occasionally. Um, it's just it just seems to me that he over the last. You know, two games he's played, he seemed to spend a lot of time on the floor. But don't take that away from him. I thought he looked very good, um, especially against France when it mattered. I don't know if tonight was um, much of a, a game mentally. I can think back to when he started against Spain and he had a nightmare 15 minutes to start with when he, was, he sort of looked in that mindset tonight where is when it was a competitive match against France, he looked a lot more comfortable on the ball. So maybe that's a, a mental thing for him. Manu, if, if we then move further back in the field and uh, we talk about the, the back line, then you, you had commented that it, it, against France, anyway, it, it, um, across the back. I mean, um, is, that would suggest something that you disapprove with the lineup that they went for. Uh, do you feel that they need a bit more pace on the wings? No, actually, I think that the lineup. I, I I wrote back and forth with um, uh, Jonathan Harding from Deutsche Welle before the match on on Twitter because we discussed this um, quite a bit at the World Cup and um, we were both saying it's interesting, but it's actually not that new that he's gone with four center backs. Remember at the World Cup 2014, he um, went with Mustavi um, as a right back and um, Hovedes on the other side. And uh, with four in the back, and it wasn't until Mustavi went out injured that um, Lam was moved back onto mm-hmm. that position. So I think that I think that the four centre backs actually worked, and I think Rüdiger and Ginter have the pace to play those positions, and at the same time give more stability. I think Chris is quite right. He pointed out Joshua Kimmich. He always looks for the. You can tell that he's a playmaker, a centre midfielder who's played in, in the early parts in the youth youth career and for RB Leipzig in Bundesliga too as as a deep lying midfielder, um as more as a playmaker. And you can tell that because he's always looking for the playmaking solution when he's playing in defense. And when you play for Bayern that's fine because you have um a lot more offensive minded um you know teammates and at the same time also the teams will not press you quite as high. 
Um, it's different, of course, in the latter stages of the Champions League. And it's, of course, different when you play for Germany against someone like France and Spain. So I think he's actually better suited to play there. And then, of course, you need, you need more muscle in, in, in national team games. And remember two national team games and World Cups. They're, they're short tournaments. It's more about getting the players to do the right thing and be more safe rather than offensive minded. That's how World Cup, how France won the World Cup. That's how Germany in many ways won the World Cup in 2014. So I actually think it was an interesting solution. And against France, it worked that defensively, they were really stable. They were more stable against France than they were against uh, Peru in the match tonight or by the time you listen to it tomorrow, uh, last night. And Chris, if we look um, against France, uh, one of the talking points was uh, Gundogan when he came on for uh, Goretzka and the reception that he was possibly going to receive you know, after all of this carry on in, in the summer you know with with Uzel and that um how was uh, the reception for him i think it was mixed um i think it was better than maybe he perceived uh obviously what he did by posing with the turkish president hasn't gone down well um in certain parts of germany and and they will voice their opinion as such um but i thought he got an okay um reception you don't forget it was in um in munich you know he is an ex dortmund player so the you know there's, there's things to where people may not particularly like him um i thought he got he had a decent reception today um in sinsheim so you know maybe people are um are getting over the problems that they've got with him i thought he he, he did okay as a player um i thought he, he got around well i do prefer the shape that Germany played tonight with, you know, one defensive midfielder, I think suits them a little better. Maybe they just didn't execute their plan particularly well this evening. But for me personally, I prefer this shape. And I thought um, Gunnjolland did all right, pushed up a little bit further in a sort of line with Cruz. Um, just to maybe add, I think a lot of the boos and whistles were, he came on at the same time as uh, Dembele, right, Chris? So I think they were actually He's not a, a popular guy, is he? So. No, not in Germany in general. Um, yeah, I think that uh, a lot of the boos, the way I interpreted that, came were against Dembele, because not necessarily because by, um, the people in Munich like <laughs> like Dortmund, but I think what his actions went down really badly in all of Germany. Um, Gundogan went to the fans after the match and he got applause. So I, I think that the whistles that we heard were were pretty much directed against Dembele and given the way he exited the Bundesliga, maybe not unrightfully so. He also yeah, spoke so himself, didn't he? Sorry, Bryce. He spoke himself after the match and said, you know, he heard a little bit of jeers and he feels he's getting better and, and obviously he's putting it behind him. So I think that's probably the best way to look at it. Yeah, I, I think so. I think we need to just uh, put this um, all behind us, don't we, and move on. Guys, uh, let's talk about the game um, against uh, Peru then. Uh, Chris, uh, we, we've seen a, a change in lineup, but was it um, a, a similar kind of tactic? And uh, how did? Well, <laughs> it started. Um, it, it started a, a little differently than I think everybody would have thought. Peru. Um, <laughs> I mean, they disappointed a little bit in the World Cup, if I'm going to be honest. And anyone that saw their qualification games, and maybe if you didn't see that, there was plenty of previews, especially on ITV and BBC. And, you know, they play some very attractive football, and we saw that. 
um, pretty quickly, I think. Um, you know, they had a, a shot after, I think it was um, 30 seconds, which was a testing shot. And, and surprisingly, or maybe unsurprisingly, um, we saw that Germany were quite open to a counterattack. And you know, on another night, Peru could have been two up before they went one up. And, and the goal they scored was was exceptional. Um, real strong burst down the um, down the right side. Um, and, and a fantastic finish. And we're going to be critical. I think Schultz was maybe not on his best day. Kimmich as well. I don't. This is what I mean. He didn't seem to wake up against Spain until after 15 minutes. And maybe the same tonight. I thought he was a little bit slow um, in that in that build up to that goal because that's you know that's his area. He's the linchpin between defence and midfield as a defensive midfielder. But Germany had a, had a pretty much instant response. Um, and then it was a very enjoyable game for that first half. I, 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 Manu, um, I don't know if Manu will agree, obviously, because he's German. But um, I, as a neutral, I found it a, a very fascinating game to watch. It was end-to-end at one point. Um, and as half-time came, it could have been two-all or maybe even three-all. I think Peru spurned a few chances. And um, at one point, uh, I said that... Peru were causing Germany a lot of trouble, but Germany were causing Germany a lot of trouble as well. Yeah, very well put. Um, Manu, uh, what did you uh, make of the uh, performance? I mean, somewhat, you know, lively first half and a, a rather dull one, as, as we were discussing before we, mm. we came on here. But um, do you feel the the changes, uh, the the different lineups, especially in the back line, maybe just help things um, a little bit? Um, or, or do you find that... This is probably a bit more experimental from uh, from Low. No, I actually really enjoyed the first forty five minutes as well. Um, it's it's a friendly, of course. I think that um, friendlies matter. I, I learned that lesson the hard way before the World Cup, where I said friendlies don't matter, and then uh, of course Germany um, bombed out of the World Cup. No, but I thought that the first half was actually really entertaining, and um, I think the one thing that did bother me is that I saw a lot of the issues that Germany had at the World Cup um, in this game as well. Um, again, they, they lost possession, but at the same time, they, whenever they lost the ball, they seemed quite open for counterattacks. And that's, of course, something that undid them at the World Cup. You know, it's, it, Chris always says, this, it doesn't matter how much you have the ball, it depends what you do with it, right? I think that is something that um, there seems to be an extra pass here and another pass there that directness is sometimes missing. And it was really interesting for me that right after Peru scored the goal through Akin Kula, I actually thought an excellent goal. Nico Schultz um, probably should have run him down a little bit better, but it can happen. This is his first national team game for him, so it can happen, right? The nerves playing in front of your own fans and, and since I'm um, he's a Hoffenheim player, of course. It, it can happen. That's fine. And it's a friendly, so it can happen. But I think the response was really good because all of a sudden that directness was there and um, Brand's goal was absolutely fantastic. And they were, um, I had two, two or three chances right before halftime as well where, um, Gundogan goes one on one with, um, with the Peru keeper and, uh, Werner also goes one on one with the, Peru keeper both times, um, they, they missed to capitalize from the chances. Um, and I thought that 
that really just showed, you know, it, it was a spectacular match. And, um, but that directness wasn't quite there always for the Germany team. It took really that first Peru goal for them to finally find that, um, rather than playing a pass out wide to go straight down the middle, which I thought, um, the, the Peruvians were a bit more vulnerable just because they lacked that uh, physical uh, physicalness um, I have it down in my stats that um, Peru only had one player over 1 meter 80, 80 and uh, Germany only had one player below 1 meter 80 so there was a real physical element where Germany were just a little bit stronger a little bit better pre- prepared when it came to straight going straight down that line I think that's that's something that Löw needs to work on um as you say in German less klein klein le- less of the little little things Play more direct when you have the ball quickly forward. Try to overwhelm the opposition by numbers. Those are things that Germany were good for in 2010 and 2014. And then we went into this over-possessionness of football um, that we sort of have to move away from, I think. Yeah, so Chris, if we, if we look at the two international games um, for Germany, what's, um, what takeaway points... You know, can we take from them? I mean, uh, were they positive things, or do you do you still think there's a lot of work to be done? I think if you look at them as two separate entities for what they are, so you've got a competitive match against France, where I thought actually Germany did quite well. And if you look at the game um, stats for that, I know we've been talking about um, you know how long you have the ball. They had 60% ball possession. They had eight shots. Um, you know, five on target, three off target. Um, I thought, you know, they had the most corners. They sort of outplayed France at times. And as Manu said, if it wasn't for the French keeper who pulled off a couple of good saves, that could have been, you know, two or three nil. Um, so I'm going to take that game as a competitive one and say that was a lot better. Um, and I'm going to take the friendly one as, as a much changed side. Um, but disappointingly, I think, was the finishing, especially from um, Werner and, and Royce. I thought they should really be hammering those type of goals home against Peru. Um, and then maybe just a little wake-up call that um, if you haven't got your strongest 11 out on the pitch, maybe Germany's still a little bit um, susceptible to, to a counter, which I'm sure Joachim Love will want to um, will want to sort out as quickly as he can. So maybe let's just give it a 6 out of 10, Bryce, for, for both games together. I think the one really big positive I'm taking away from this is that Germany won the second game. I think that's that's really positive. It, it may have been the softest of shots that finally won it for them, but I mean Schultz t- took it right. Um, he could have also done another pass instead. He shot, and sometimes you have to kind of hope that a mistake happens and you get a goal. And I think that's a really that's something very positive that they won this match because there's been so many friendlies where they didn't win and. I think there's something that's something that they can build on. And would you say that it was a positive having uh, Kimmich uh, in midfield in that um, defensive roles covering the back line? And uh, and then would you say that the the main problem continues to just be that that number nine position? You're just that out and out striker. I feel like Chris, how long have we talked about the lack of true number nine strikers in German football? Probably as long as we've been doing this podcast. Yeah, and I think. One of the only guys who who could step in pretty much immediately spat his dummy out before the World Cup and and said he wasn't going to play for Germany again. I think Sandra Wagner could have notched a couple of goals in certainly in the first game against France. I think his 
finishing ability was ready-made for that game and maybe even the game against Peru. Um, he could have got a couple, but you know that's his decision. But yeah, Timo Werner, I don't think he's quite doing it for the national side at the moment. I'm hoping that it clicks into place for him. Um, but outside of that, I can't really see an out-and-out German striker who's going to get you, you know, a goal every other game, even. Yeah, Manu, is there any other points that you or any other players that you would like to um, point out, you know, for, for having particularly um, good performances? You know what we didn't talk about? I'm kind of scared of going there, but Chris, Leroy Sané. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously he's got a lot on his mind, didn't he? So he withdrew from that. Um, he withdrew from tonight's game or the game against Peru because his um, his partner gave birth, and I don't think he could um, begrudge him that. He wants to be there mm. for the birth of his child, so congratulations to him for that. But um, we didn't see much of him because I don't think he was given the chance. Maybe if he was given the chance from the start, but I think there was maybe some unhelpful comments from Tony Cruz beforehand, which were poorly translated by the English press at times. Mm. Um, but. Um, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him. But then, of course, he's not playing for Manchester City as much. So is he going to get the ability to play for the German national side if he's not trusted by his, his manager? Um, he is very good. And he he, he did show um, what he's capable of when he came on. Um, and maybe if he um, if he wasn't expecting to become a dad and, and he played this evening, maybe we might have seen a little bit um, of a different... Um, Germany, but then again, I don't think we saw that much of um, of Julian Brandt, who you know the two of them are fighting out. Yeah, Manu, there's plenty of rumours going around that uh, that Sané has a poor attitude. I mean, if, if, is there anything to all this, or is it just people picking away and looking for something that uh, that doesn't even exist? I think that Leroy Sané is, is a young player who. Um, going forward will be will become very important for Germany. Now, um, I've heard all sorts of things that this has to do with the color of his skin. I I remember the very same discussion with Bastian Schweinsteiger and um, his background is, is Bavarian as you can get and he still got a lot of um, criticism at when he was the same age from the likes of Oli Hoeneß. So I think it's it's just some young players you know, integrate quicker into a national team than others. I mean, you look at, you look at, um, the way Julian Brandt played. Uh, he doesn't always get it right either, but, um, he's, he scored a goal today and, um, he very quickly, um, managed to play a good role for Germany. Um, I look back at someone like Andre Schöle, um, who didn't, you know, who, who had the very same criticisms about Andre Schöle than we have about Leroy Sané now. And I think it has has nothing to do. Um, Körpersprache means something very different in German than it does in English, by the way. So I think it's it's just something that got Chris said it already very mistranslated. But I really rate Sunny. I don't think he would have made a difference in the Germany's World Cup situation or in in the game against France because he's he's not necessarily the the player. We seem to have lots of players like him that go down the wing, that go down um, the byline, but we don't seem to have the guy in the middle at the moment. And I think that's really where I see the biggest void. So I think he will go find his way in this national team. He will play lots of national team games. 
who will probably win trophies with this national team, just like Bastian Schweinsteiger and Philipp Lahm did eventually. And um, I think that the kind of comments that he's receiving right now are quite common for a year young player who's um, currently not performing in his best. Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Setup and installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Yeah, well, Chris and I would be able to confirm that that's the case. I mean, you, you look at Raheem Sterling and, you know, the reception he gets, you know, in, in, in the media all the time. I mean, it happens a lot with these young players, isn't there? There's yeah, a but lot I, of, don't think two are com- I don't think the two are comparable. I mean, Chris, you had a, a Twitter um, threat where you really compare how Sterling is being treated by the press and how oh, yeah, other that, young players. That, yeah. And yeah, that's I mean, not comparable at all. No, Sterling's is completely different to Sunday. Obviously, there's certain parts of the, um, or I'm going to say the right wing press in the UK that have torn him apart for everything. And, you know, not just his football ability, but the way he's described as, you know, as an England failure on holiday. Um, and then you look at someone like Harry Maguire, who was called an England hero whilst on holiday. Well, they both played in the same England side and got to the same um, semi-final. Um, and there's there's lots of problems surrounding Raheem Sterling and the way he's treated in the press. Um, I think it's a little different to the way Leroy Sané is, is treated. And I think um, Raheem Sterling gets that treatment, whether he plays well or whether he plays poor. Um, and occasionally Leroy Sané hasn't played particularly well, especially for Germany. So he's received, and, and probably quite rightly, some negative press where Raheem Sterling has, has played exceptional at times and still received negative press. I think the two um, aren't comparable in this case. Yeah, I think too, when when Sané plays well for City, he gets a lot of praise in the German press. And I think that's why he gets criticised a lot when he plays for Germany, because... The press isn't stupid. They see what he can do for City and then they look at what he does for Germany and the two don't comply. Right. So that's very different than the Sterling situation. At least that's the way I, I perceive it. Well, we'll certainly not discuss the Sterling uh, situation any further. I don't think that's um, a rather large and sensitive topic. Uh, mm-hmm. But guys, um, let's move on. Let's, let's talk about um, a guy that's not just hung up his boots, but hung up his gloves um, recently, and that was Roman Weidenfeller. Uh, the goalkeeper um, had a rather successful period at, at Borussia Dortmund over 16 years, um, playing nearly 400 games. Um, so, uh, Chris, I mean, he's had a, a, a bit of a farewell um, game recently, hasn't he? And um, 
rightfully so. I mean, he he was uh, ever present during the uh, the Klopp era, wasn't he? And less so maybe in the Tuchel one, but um, a big figure between the sticks for uh, Dortmund over the years. Yeah, very big player and you know very influential, um, especially when. Dortmund went and won the Bundesliga in 2011, and then obviously they got all the way to the final in um, 2013. Um, and you know, at the time, um, when your club was the manager, he, he said that he was one of the best goalkeepers in the world, especially with that run-up um, to the final. The, some of the performances he made in the UEFA Champions League were exceptional, um, and quite rightly, uh, he was front and centre picking up the um, picking up the Bundesliga shield. So. I thought he's had a very, very good um, career for Dortmund. And sometimes people only focus on on what they remember in the closest term. And yet, maybe as he was getting towards the end of his career, he didn't have the best of times. Um, But when it counted for Dortmund, I think he was was fantastic. Um, And quite rightly, he he got a send-off in front of just over 70,000 people um, in an all-star team. And then, you know, he had his, his own... Um, Roman's friends side uh, Klopp managed the Dortmund side he was back in Dortmund in the dugout um, and it looked an all round sort of party uh, with lasers at the end and everything and a sort of send off that you should really give a keeper who has helped you come back from the brink of nothing um, to win a couple of titles a couple of pokals um, and, and obviously get all the way to the Champions League final and, and miss out in in um, unfortunate circumstance Manu you're Obviously, a goalkeeper. Um, how highly do you rate um, Weidenfeld in, in, in his years at Dortmund? Yeah, I, I mean, 349 games for Borussia Dortmund. Chris mentioned all the titles. Um, he was a member of the 2014 World Cup squad. So that's not many World Cup winners out there, even though he didn't play. It's, it's very difficult for the number two, number three to be part of a national team, right? Because you have to be always ready, um, but you don't really necessarily get the same kind of awards than you do when you play. But I mean, and he was influential in that in that dressing room for Germany in 2014, um, really helped keep things together. The, the dressing room over, we're talking about a two month period when the national team is on the road, right? Because we're talking about the 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 pre-setup before the tournament and then the tournament itself. And do um, you have to have the perfect mixture? We saw in 2018 what happens if you don't. And uh, he was a very big part of that to, to make sure that the that the number one is always ready because they're trained together, right? And the, the goalkeepers are very much a team in, in that setup. And he he was he's very good keeping the young players in line who didn't get them as much playing time. That, that kind of that kind of role is important, and it shows you what kind of influential person. He was, and when he was on the top of his game, I believe in 2010, 2011, when they, when Dortmund won the, the Bundesliga title, he held the, he won the record for the least goals received, received, uh, conceded, um, by any Bundesliga keeper in history. So yeah, he's, he's a big one. He's uh, stepping, stepping down from the game. And I think he will, will probably see him back in Dortmund in, in, in an influential role in the future. Yeah, here's hoping um, all the best to him with retirement. And yeah, it'd be an interesting one if he did return to the club as a coach or, or some other representative. But um, guys, I suppose uh, we had better talk about match day three, which is uh, fast approaching uh, in the Bundesliga. It, it feels like the the international break was just 
just poorly timed. It was a bit too early, wasn't it? Um, Chris, uh, what games are you looking forward to uh, this weekend? Uh, back with a bang Friday night, isn't it? Dortmund against Eintracht Frankfurt um, will be a fantastic game. Um, Leipzig Hanover will be interesting. Um, and then I think on Saturday, I think the, the big game on Saturday is um, Bayern against Leverkusen. That'll be a cracker to watch as well. So, yeah, it's come back um, with a bang, and that's what we want to see. And, and you know, back to um, back back to its best. I think this particular match day has got some classics. I don't want to steal all of Manu's sandwiches, but um, you know, Gladbach against Schalke is a good game. Um, Further Bremen, who uh, started quite well against Nuremberg, that will be another good game. And then um, Sunday afternoon, Freiburg against Stuttgart. Well, you don't know what you're going to get there. That that could be another very interesting game. Um, but this particular match day, I think, has pitted some real good teams together, and it should be um, a bit of a, a bit of a cracker, especially with three strong fixtures: um, one on Friday, two on Saturday. Yeah, I think that Friday night game and the late kickoff game on Saturday, there's, there's plenty to get excited about. Manu, what, what games are you looking forward to? Do you think um, do you think Leverkusen can possibly cause an upset? They better because <laughs> it's not looking <laughs> good for me at all, is it? You've cur- you've cursed them rather badly, haven't you? Yeah, next year I'm going to pick Bayern. Um, no jokes aside, I think. I mean, I'm really looking forward to this because, um, as much as I like covering the international games, I, I, the Bundesliga is the bread and butter, right? Club football is our bread and butter. And it, it's straight from this to the Champions League. Um, so it's going to be an exciting, very exciting 10 days. But yeah, um, I really hope, I really do hope not just for my bet, um, but just in general for the league that Leverkusen gets something in Munich. Just because, just because it would blow the league open a little bit, right? Um, Dortmund Frankfurt, of course, Chris is quite right. Um, that's a great start to, to match day three. And, um, Chris Stuttgart against Freiburg is actually a derby, right? Um, Freiburg, an area that yep, you've been is, to. Yep. Uh-huh, yeah. And yeah, I stayed in Freiburg and traveled to Stuttgart. It's, uh, I think it took me about an hour and a half. So yeah, that's exactly. So that's, that's going to be a fantastic match as well. So. Yeah, we got some really good games. The, the Saturday night fixture, Gladbach against Schalke, um, another really fascinating match. Um, Gladbach started really well into the season. So yeah, and Schalke need to win that game. Otherwise, they're in, they're in big trouble. So lots going on. And we'll, we'll have previews. Um, we usually preview, preview the Dortmund and Bayern game and then a third match and haven't quite decided yet what to, which one to do, but there will be previews on, on the key matches, um, of this match day for sure. And don't forget um, second versus third, which is Wolfsburg against Hertha, which you don't think anyone would have expected on um, match day three. And one, yeah, <laughs> Definitely not. Uh, Chris, uh, would I be right in saying that, you know, if, if you look at the, the table, yes, there's only two games played so far. But don't do you think look at we'll... the table. Don't look at the table. <laughs> don't look at the table to match day 10. No, 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 I know that. I know you, you've cutting in too early. I'm just saying that likes of Schalke, Leverkusen, Freiburg and Stuttgart, would they have benefited from uh, the international break? Uh, probably not, because you want to get out and play straight away. Um, I mean, if you look at some of the teams that are down there, um, Schalke and Leverkusen and Leipzig as well, don't forget, um, you know, 14th, 15th and 16th, they want to be the other end of the table. But it's only match day three. Um 
if Schalke or Bayer, um, Leverkusen or even Leipzig win the next two games on the trot, this is why I don't like to look at the table too early, you'll probably find that they'll be second or third. So, um, so yeah, it can flip-flop for the next six weeks, six to seven weeks. So try not to look at the table for a bit. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, Manu, you, you wanted to talk about um, Oktoberfest. Uh, an 1860s kit, I believe. Yeah, so um, <laughs> this is this is a time of the year that I'm always very excited about, and uh, it's it's Oktoberfest time is rapidly approaching. Yeah, I know people will think, wait, wait a second, it's September 9th, it's a month away. Um, it may be called Oktoberfest, but it actually starts in September. And yeah, I'm I'm going back in in. Uh, a little bit less than two weeks over to, to Munich. I usually head over there for the Oktoberfest time, um, simply because it's hard to be from Munich and not be in Munich during Oktoberfest. And 1860 have released their Oktoberfest shirt, um, already. Um, they already been dressed up in their traditional Lederhosen. Um, both clubs, Bayern and 1860 do this. And it is usually shared widely on, on all the social media. Um, I think Bleacher Report already have sent out their tweet. Showing the, the picture, uh, the Bayerns, uh, getting, receiving their club lederhosen. 1860 received their club lederhosen. It looked really good. There's like a line emblazoned on, emblazoned on the, on the shorts. Mm. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a fantastic time. It's a great time to watch, watch football in Munich as well. The Bayern games, uh, you know, you can go straight from the beer tent to, into the U-Bahn to the Allianz Arena out in the, at the garbage shells and watch a game there, or you can go straight to, um, the Grünwalder Stadion right downtown and watch some football there. And, um, we actually will have a derby during that time between 1860 and Haching, um, the small Munich derby, um, a top game as well, both on the, in the top third of the table. So of the Liga 3. So there's, there's lots happening and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that time. Uh, I sent out a tweet, I think of the 1860 shirt already. Um, not my favorite. I thought last year's was better, but I'm not sure. Is there is there any equivalent of this um, anywhere else in in the world or in the UK, Chris? I don't think I don't think so. Is there? Um, no, not there's no um, kit as such um, for any festivals. Not certainly not that I'm aware of. Um, teams will have special edition kits occasionally, um, but I'm just trying to rack my brains now and think. There's no, there's certainly nothing in the Northwest that I can think of, and maybe even the Midlands, um, there might be something right down South. If you're looking at somewhere like Plymouth Argyle, Mark Lovell was probably the man to ask last week for that. Um, but I'm pretty sure there's no, obviously we don't have Oktoberfest in the UK um, as, as, as a national um, thing. There's plenty of Oktoberfest stuff going on throughout the UK though. Um, but no, n- not in the same way that Bayern and 1860 produce kits and the same way that um, Cologne do and um, for um, Carnival, etc. Now That'll be exciting for you, Manu. Coming back up, I, I think you should probably uh, tweet out your favourite 1860 Oktoberfest uh, kit. That, that'd be an interesting one to, to see and then compare. But um, guys, yeah, I, I'm excited. You guys are excited for the Bundesliga to return this weekend. And as we mentioned, there's lots of great games coming up. Um, Chris, uh, what have you got going on in the meantime uh, leading up to that or, or going on this weekend that you'd maybe like to draw people's attention to? Uh, it's not really much that I want to draw people's attention to. Just keep your eye on football, Greg. 
Good stuff. There'll always be plenty of articles on there and on the Twitter page, plenty uh, to talk and read about. Um, Manu, uh, what exactly is there going to be on there? What would you like to draw people's attention to? Yeah, I think we have um, previewed the key UEFA Nations League games involving the post-Soviet and Balkan teams. Um, I think then there's one more that I'm, I'm going to do that's going to be out by the time this podcast is out. It's Croatia's game against Spain. And then um, slowly getting ready for the Bundesliga games that, you know, of course, doing the Friday matchup, the Bayern game, and um, a game yet to be determined, although I reckon it will probably be Gladbach against Schalke, a preview. And then, um, by popular request, a preview for the 1860 game as well. And uh, whatever else, you know, we'll see. There's there's always lots happening. Um, bit reactionary at the moment. So, but yeah, all of that can be found at Football Grad Live. Is that a popular request, or is that just because you wanted to do one? No, no, it's actually a popular request. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, yeah, guys. Um, if uh, if you need uh, more uh, articles and info to to fill your time up with, uh, certainly head over to at Football Grad Live on Twitter. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, as always, I'll just ask that uh, wherever you get your podcasts uh, from, I know there's plenty of different apps and that, if you could just leave us um, you know, some, some uh, positive feedback and, um, or, or give us a nice review, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, we uh, we really do appreciate you tuning in each week uh, for the podcast, but that more or less does it, I, I think. Um, I've been your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. Um, all I can say is bring on the Bundesliga. It's back this weekend. Enjoy. Auf Wiedersehen. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. This episode is brought to you by Nourish by Nature Made. The number one pharmacist-recommended vitamin and supplement brand. Nourish is a personalized vitamin regimen customized to you. Backed by 45 years of science, they remove the guesswork from your vitamin regimen. With thousands of happy customers, Nourish is a trusted supplement brand by many. Visit Nourish.com to create your customized package today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.